Welcome to the teaching ministry of Reverend JFK Mensah, a seasoned Bible teacher with over 40 years of ministry experience. He is a pastor, a church planter, a missionary, and an international conference speaker. He is passionate about making Christ-like disciples worldwide. JFK Mensah is the General Overseer of Great Commission Church International. May you be transformed as you listen to the Word of God. Heavenly Father, we are so, so, so grateful for grace, for life, for strength, for wisdom, and for ability to take hold of the extension of your goodness. We pray that as we continue this series on spiritual growth, you would open our eyes, give us enlightenment, and help us once more to understand the issues that are involved so that we can lay hold of them for eternal life. In Jesus' name, Amen. Very quickly, uh, let's do a small revision. Uh, number one, what is the goal of all spiritual growth? To be like Christ. The growth, spiritual growth we talk about, has only one goal, to be like Jesus. To be like Jesus. If you grasp that, everything else I say, you can learn out of school. Because the content of the syllabus for how to grow spiritually is just the same as the content of the syllabus for how to become like Jesus. It's the same. Is the same. And I have explained to you that First John 3, 2 says, When we see Jesus, we shall be like him. We shall not be like any church. We shall not be like any pastor. We shall not be like any man of God in the Bible. We shall be like Jesus. Therefore, all our energy on this earth must be spent trying to make sure that we grow in the direction of becoming more and more and more like Jesus. So, I am outlining ten pillars of the ingredients, the elements which will cause you to become more and more like Jesus. Just like when you are preparing granite soup, you know already the things which go into making a granite soup. Therefore, 
You assemble them around yourself. And in the same way, you need to ask yourself, if I want to be more like Jesus, what are the things I need to do? The obvious answer is, do the things Jesus did. Build the habits Jesus built. Then you can be like him. Because if you put all the habits of Jesus together, you get Jesus. So, number one habit Jesus had was the Word of God, the Bible. He mastered the Bible in such a way that by age 12, people were already surprised at his understanding and knowledge of the Bible. And by John chapter uh, John chapter 7 verse 14 to 16 we are told that you can read it for us that in the middle of the feast Jesus appeared and he taught and the people were like wow how can this guy know the scriptures so well have he never studied at the feet of any of our rabbis and masters. John 7:14. Now about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, How does this man know letters, having never studied? You see, how can this man know, you know, the law? Well, I just wanted to explain to you that they were not saying that, hey, this guy, how come he knows so much Shakespeare when he hasn't studied Shakespeare? That's not what they are talking about, though. They were talking about Bible mastery. They were talking about his grasp of the scriptures. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, Paul was telling Timothy that from childhood, you have mastered the scriptures. You see, which are able to make you wise unto salvation, which is in Christ Jesus. A typical Jew, yes, a typical Jew from childhood, you are taught the Bible. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. Yes. And they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. So, a typical Jewish boy mastered the scriptures like Timothy from childhood. So when they are surprised at somebody's teaching of the scripture, then you must know the guy is moving in the area of excellence. When Jesus met Satan, he didn't quote Shakespeare, he didn't quote Socrates, he didn't quote uh, Alexander the Great, or you know, those wise Hindus. He quoted the Bible. He told Satan, it is written. It is written. It is written again. And even Satan was surprised at Jesus' knowledge of the scriptures. If there is something like that. He didn't expect it. It was a clean knockout. 
By the third time, he said, this guy, this it is written to him, you have me, you get away from here. And he left. The next habit Jesus had was prayer. Jesus built a habit of constant prayer. In fact, according to Luke 5.16, Jesus often withdrew himself to the wilderness to go and pray. A third habit Jesus had was fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Now, this is interesting because Jesus was born of the Spirit. He didn't have a human father like you and me. If you, if you want to put it bluntly, the Holy Spirit was his father. Because his mother was a virgin, Mary. Therefore, the angel told uh, Mary in Luke chapter 1 verse 34, 35 that the Spirit of God will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby that is born will be born of you, will become holy. So he was, Jesus was already born of the Holy Spirit. But at baptism, heaven opened, the Spirit came upon him in the form of a dove. And by Luke chapter 4, verse 1, the Bible says Jesus, full of the Spirit, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. So, Jesus, he mastered fellowship with the Holy Spirit. How to be filled with the Spirit, how to walk and be led by the Spirit. And he returned, Luke 4, 14, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, you have to understand that these are not one day, one touch issues. They are habits you have to build over time. Then, number four, we looked at was Christ-like character, holiness, and righteousness. It's true, last week, I was really rushing. And my wife says that even she who was taking notes, uh, she couldn't catch up with me. But what is character? Character is an inner conviction which you do or act until it becomes a habit and it becomes a, a, a a stable habit. Then we say it's character. Because you, people can predict that, oh, my sister, when you say this, she will be angry. So you all wait. Your sister comes. Then you say it, and she is angry. Say, that's her character. You've got her. You see, so a character is a habit you have you know, you are so established, installed, and enthroned in that people can predict that when this happens, you will do this. You will say this. Then we say it's your character. Now, Jesus is an eternal character. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8 says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
So, to become like Jesus, to grow to be like Jesus, you have to work on your character. And this is, this is a very serious part of Christianity because you can be going to church all your life, giving money in church, singing in the choir, and uh, I don't know, doing many things, but your character is not changing. You can even memorize Bible verses. This is the problem. You need to give deliberate, intentional attention to your character. So, you need to list the character of Jesus. You see, like 1 John 3, 3. It says, anyone who has this hope in himself, that when Jesus comes, you will go to heaven with him. You purify yourself just as he is pure. So, Jesus is pure. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 to 30. Jesus says, come unto me, all who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. I am meek and humble or gentle in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. So Jesus himself tells us that he is humble, he is meek, he is gentle. Philippians chapter 2, verses uh, 7 and 8. He says, Jesus, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, took the form of his servant. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. It means Jesus was obedient. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. Though Jesus was a son, he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. Hebrews chapter 3, from verse 1 to 5, it says that Jesus was more faithful than Moses. Because Moses was faithful as a servant. Jesus was faithful as a son. So Jesus is faithful. Hebrews 2, 17 and 18. Jesus is a faithful and merciful high priest. Jesus has character. And you know the thing we, we all do it. We all say it. For me I'm not like that. Me I'm not like that. You see. This time there is a string of pastors who are cursing people left and right. And when you listen to their curses, you are like, whoa, I'm finished. Why? Because cursing people is a character. You see? Just like insulting people. If there are no insults in your chest, when people offend you, you cannot insult them because nothing will come out. But somebody who is practiced in insulting people, even if your car overtakes him, you see that you do the thing. The thing you do is for you just now. You do it for you. Because he, he, that, he has been doing it. So it's his character. You see? 
That's it. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, we need to build character. There are areas of your life, you yourself, you know that, no, no, no. This part is not correct. I need to. You know, so, sometimes we all want to be left alone. But the reason you need me, I need you, you need company, is that the people who annoy you most help you. They show you how you are. You thought you were very gentle and loving until you met somebody who, who you know, touched you on the negative side. And that day, your plug went off. You told the person your peace of mind. Say, yeah, maka, maka. But when you leave, say, ah, I thought this part of me was gone. It's there. It has always been there. Just that your friends were around you. So you didn't spark off. So, character. You have to work on it day and night. Then you yourself, somebody does something. You say, hey, I'm changing you. If it were to be those my days of a, a queer monster, like you would have seen something. Like you would have seen something. <laughs> it's, I'm changing you. Jesus is working on you. I'm not like I used to be. That, then you know you are changing. So I talked about Christ-like character and growth. Then I rushed over facing life's challenges. Certainly, part of growth is to face difficulties, face challenges, face risks, face reverses. Once again, let's read the Matthew 4, 1 and 2. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. When Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. Does it make sense? Jesus, led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Why? Why is such a match? Because, you know, Many times prosperity teachers make us understand that God wants life to be cozy. Everything should work out well for you. But here is Jesus filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit to face the very last person we want to see or meet or no, you know, have anything to do with the devil. Life has challenges, bereavements, accidents, setbacks, opposition, enemies at your workplace, in your family, among even your so called friends. You know, in the neighborhood, life 
the reality of life is that whether you are a Christian or not a Christian, life meets you full throttle. If you remember the Matthew chapter 7, from verse 24 to 27, Jesus said that two types of builders. Matthew 24, Matthew 7, 24, 27. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. So the rain comes in torrents, and the floodwaters rise, and the winds beat against that house. It won't collapse, because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and ignores it is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. You see, the point is, both the man who built on the rock and the man who built on the sand, they both have the rains, they have the storm, they have the flood. None is spared. So, Christianity doesn't mean no challenges. It doesn't mean for you, because you are a Christian, you are going to go through life, you know, in a palanquin. You are just, you know, being carried along and then everything is rosy and things are nice and gorgeous. And then, you know, every bed you lie on is cotton wool and then you... The five wise virgins and the five foolish virgins, both of them, their delay made them sleep. Their lights were burning low. Both. So, when you crack under life's challenges, that is evidence that you are not mature. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 10. He says, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Proverbs 24, 10. 24, verse 10. Yes. If you fail under pressure, your strength is too small. If you fail under pressure, if you fail under pressure, your strength is too small. So, what God has done is that He puts pressure on you so that you can grow. Part of the growth process is that pressures come. So James chapter 1 from verse 2 to 4. He says, count it all joy. When you meet various trials, temptations, difficulties, count it joy. Because when you are tested and, and proved, it is that which brings you to perfection and maturity. James chapter 1 verse 2 to 4. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Does it say when problems come your way, squeeze your face? Or complain to heaven? So God, why are you treating me like this? God, I don't like that. Me, me, I'm, I, I don't like that. Why? Eh? Why are you bringing problems my way like this? Don't you know I'm your child? Can't you see how I'm serving you? Don't, don't do that to me. 
says, when problems come your way, count it joy. Yes? For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. When your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Okay. So, I, I, I have given that, these examples many times. You say you are not a thief. Okay. You are made Minister of Finance for Ghana. And money which nobody can account for is coming your way. And this, oh, and then gold and silver and the mines and cocoa and this and you know. It is the test of whether or not you are a thief. You see? So, trials, temptations, difficulties, challenges, setbacks, difficult people. Your mother. One, one lady came and told her that um, she's not my mother. She's not my mother. Then we said, who really gave birth to you? And she said, it's this woman. You say, but the way she treats me, she's not my mother. She's your mother. She's your mother. God tests us. He tries us. He sends us through fire. He lets water pass over us. The floods cover us. He passes through mountains and hills. We go through the valleys. Our lives is shaken. Things are done to us which no human being should be treated like that. But, at the end of the day, you come out in such a way that three things happen. First, the next time you meet those trials, you smile. Because you've gone through worse things. The second, when somebody is going through those trials, you can help them. Because you have gone through it yourself. And the third is that God's sign of approval is on your chest. James chapter 1 verse 12. James 1 12. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. God will pay you. God pays you. You see, some areas of our lives, we are not even aware that we are weak there. Except there is a testing. When there is a trial, when there is a difficulty, then you wake up and say, yeah, Sana, this part of me, yeah, I didn't know. I didn't know I was so weak. We all don't like it. I don't like it myself. But that's it. One day, I had a dream. I saw a certain man made of iron. And he came to me and said he wanted to wrestle with me. 
And I said, I'm not interested. You are made of iron. You want to wrestle with me, a human being? I'm not interested. Before I could say hallelujah, he took hold of me. Look, he broke every bone in my my. He broke, he made me pulp. He beat me into smithereens. He, when he left me, I just sagged and fell. I knew from the beginning that I was no match for him. But that's the match God sent my way. There are certain things in your life. It only takes God's calculated brokenness to make you leave that thing. You see? The way David was going with women. If not because of how God disciplined him concerning what he did to Bathsheba. Abishag would not lie on his bosom when David was king and, and she would be a virgin. You don't mean it. But God took him through something, you know. And when he was old, they brought him a virgin, Abishag, to attend to him, lie so that he would be warm. And she remained a virgin. Under David's blanket. Why? The discipline was thorough. You see, God got him where he himself saw it. Now you can see a girl pass and be quiet. Some of us are like that. There are certain experiences God knows if he doesn't pass you through them. All his noise, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. You won't hear. I think some of our children are like that. Kofi, I say don't. Don't. Oh, he will do it. You see? So a certain spanking must go on. And when he has it, now he passes by the thing. When he says, mommy, mommy, mommy. Okay, so that brings us to number six. Pillar number six is evangelism, soul winning, disciple making. And if you want to add church planting, evangelism means to go about from person to person, from place to place, with the good news that Jesus died for sinners. That's evangelism. So we need is when people hear the good news and they say, yes, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to accept Jesus as my Lord and personal Savior. Then we say you have won a soul. So Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16, Jesus said, go, preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. He who does not believe shall be condemned. So, 
Number one is preach. Number two is win souls. But number three, after you have preached, you have won a soul, you need to take care of that soul. That's what we call discipling. You, you are going to teach, train, build character, help that uh, new person to grow into a fully stable, mature Christian. And when you get a group of such people you are working on, we say you have planted a church. Why? Why does evangelism, preaching, soul winning, disciple, why does it cause us to grow spiritually? The first answer is obvious. Jesus. Luke chapter 19 verse 10, Jesus said the Son of Man is come to seek and to save the lost. Then, you can't be like Jesus if you don't care about the lost. And your master cares. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. He said, when Jesus saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion. And he said, the harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. Pray the Lord of the harvest. So, and uh, John 3.16, For God so loved the world, He sent it, gave His only begotten Son. Uh, Romans 5.8, God demonstrates His love towards us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, if you see people getting lost, going to hell, and you don't care. When I was a younger preacher, I used to say you have witchcraft. Because what worries Jesus doesn't move you. Luke 19.41 The Bible says when Jesus was on the donkey and he saw Jerusalem and how they were lost, he wept. He was weeping over Jerusalem. When was the last time you wept? And why did you weep? When your computer crashed? When your son put your phone into water? That expensive iPhone. Then you wept. Jesus weeps over souls. So you can't have the heart of Jesus if you don't care about evangelism, about lost souls, if, if you, you are not moved. Not only that, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, the Bible says, Jesus told Peter and Andrew, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. John fifteen sixteen. Jesus said, you did not choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and bear fruit that your fruit should abide. So, the fruitful Christian brings forth other Christians. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering. But the fruit of the Christian is another Christian. Matthew 
Now, the third reason why evangelism and soul winning, disciple making, makes you grow is when you start talking to somebody about Jesus, the person begins to ask you questions. The person says, oh, Eh, Mama, you also believe in that Bible? Me, I don't know. Say, eh? So do you think Jesus really is the Son of God? When people challenge what you believe, for the first time in your life, you have to defend what you believe. And in trying to struggle to defend what you believe, you grow. Because you pick answers. And, and now for the first time, you wake up. Uh-uh. The Bible is not the only holy book in the world though. There are other holy books. There are other prophets. There are other... So, because of that, you must justify why you say Jesus is the only way. Why the Bible is the word of God. You must, you must answer the questions. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15. You must have an answer ready for those who challenge you. And when they do... They, some of the questions they ask, you tell them, okay, next week when we meet, I will give you the answer. Because it means you are going to Google or ask your pastor. You see, you, you have been caught off guard and you don't have the answer. Nobody has asked you that answer before, uh, question before. Today I was reading about the main difference between yoga exercises and Christianity. Most of American Christians now use one form or another of yoga exercises as part of Christianity. But yoga is not designed for Christianity. So, you say, oh, it's because I want to exercise my body. And they say, this is the way, when you do it this way, then you, your body will relax and be silent. But no yoga exercise was designed just for your body. The meaning of yoga is union. And it is supposed to bring you union with the universe. Therefore, all the mantras and the relaxation exercises are supposed to prepare your inner man for the experience of uniting with the universe. So it looks innocent. But yoga is not Christianity. And it is when someone questions you that you wake up for the first time and ask yourself, hey, but me, what I'm doing, is it meditation or transcendental meditation? So, as you witness, you meet other religions. You meet people who are Christians, but they don't hold the type of view you hold to. You meet questions which you have never thought about. And they, cause, they force you to think, they force you to pray, they force you to grow. And when you go for evangelism, you pray, you seek the face of God, you want the Holy Spirit's leadership. All these things make you grow. Therefore, if there are two Christians, and one is sharing his faith, and the other is not sharing his faith, but you are all equally Christians, within a month, the person who is sharing his faith when you see that when he is talking or she is talking, there's more boldness. 
There is more authority. There is more confidence. Why? Because he is sharing his faith. And Jesus says, if you are shy of me in front of people, I will also be shy of you before my father. But if you boldly declare me, I will do the same. And Jesus' value for human soul, according to Mark 8, 36, 37, is what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his soul? You see? Therefore, the more you identify with Jesus, in that, and you grow more when you start discipling people, the moment you take, it's like any young lady. You see them so carefree, but after the first pregnancy, delivery, they become mature. It was the whole night, you haven't slept. You have to breastfeed. You have to wake up. And feeding bottle. And there you are, having to dress a child to go to school. And, then, and before long, you see that your other friends are, hey, I mean, what you can say? No, 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 no. No, I can't. Uh, uh, is, is going to school. Oh, Kuku is. Because you are now a responsible mother. And therefore, you grow. So there are a lot of you in the church, you have never discipled anybody. You are a carefree lady. <laughs> because you haven't taken anybody on. You see, pick some new Christian up now and say, look, I'm going to mentor and mother you. You see that the person says, oh, please, how do you do spiritual warfare? Then you say, okay, next week, next week we shall treat it. Why? You are going to Google. You know? He said, eh, please, eh, this quiet time they have been saying, yeah, I don't know how to have quiet time, oh, please, can you teach me? So oh, give me one week, then you can come. Because you want to refresh your notes on quiet time. That's it. The moment you start discipling somebody in the church, you are forced to learn in order to teach. You are forced to explain concepts in Christianity which you yourself have been hearing from the pulpit, but you never took time even to understand. You see? It's like your boy runs, comes back from school. Mommy, mommy, what is geometry? There's a wait. Daddy is not here. When he comes, you will ask him. It's the same. And some people are in the church conveniently. You are not responsible for any young Christian. You are just there. You can, but you won't grow. Take on the challenge. Take on the challenge. Take a new convert. Take the person up. And then you will see that in answering their questions, helping them to grow, meeting them once a week, and you, you too, you are growing. Because you are forced to eat in order to feed somebody. Okay? So, that brings us to um, number eight now. Is it seven? The word of God, prayer, fellowship with the Holy Spirit, Christ-like character, facing life's challenges. Then we have now finished with, uh, yes, evangelism. Okay, so number seven is 
Christian fellowship. Christian fellowship. Uh, we live in days when you can actually have church service in your home. Because on the television, there is church service. Eh? You can just follow a worship service on the TV or smartphone. And then, so why do you go to church? You know these people, bah. why do you go to church? You don't need to drive all this petrol and then go and hustle and traffic and come back. Me, I do my church in, in the house. Do you need another human being's fellowship in order to grow spiritually? The Bible says yes. The Bible says yes. According to the scripture, because you call God Father and I call God Father, we are brothers and sisters. And blood is thicker than water, but spirit is thicker than blood. Romans chapter 8, from verse 14 to 16, he outlines it that as many as are led by the spirit, they are the children of God. And that we have not received the spirit of, of slavery, bondage into fear, but of sonship. And when we cry, Abba, Father, the spirit witnesses with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus, provided we suffer with him, that we also be glorified together with him. Now listen, you are God's child. I'm God's child. Then you have business to do with me. You can't just take your handbag and go to heaven. No. Because if we are members of a family, then we need to tango. We need to meet together. And Let's see some of the reasons why the Bible is so very anxious. According to Hebrews chapter 10, please, we are reading 24 and 25. Hebrews chapter 10, 24 and 25. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together. Let us not neglect our meeting together. Let us not neglect our meeting together. As some people do. As is the habit of some people. But encourage one another. Especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Now that the day of Christ's return is drawing closer. We need to meet together to encourage one another. To display the love we have received from God to another person. Because you are God's child and I'm God's child and we are family members. You need me and I need you to display the love I have received from God. I need to 
to pour some out to you. You too need to pour some out to me. Now, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 and 13 is even more pointed. Let's read it. Hebrews chapter 3, 12 and 13. Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day. You must warn each other when? Every day. While it is still today. Warn each other every day while it is still today. So that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. You see, sin is very deceitful. Did you hear me? I was discussing with my wife. Anyway, this is private conversation. But, you know, we are brothers and sisters, so I can tell you. I belong to the kind of man who doesn't easily open car doors for women and, uh, you know, Lord Byron and the romantic, you know, that kind. And the average lady, when she thinks of a husband, is more interested in a man who is, you know, the kind that, when, when you know, ah, very romantic. And, and, and so, when you think of marriage, you don't think of a straight guy. But the straight guys are very responsible. And the romantic guys are very irresponsible. Aha. Uh-huh. She is already answering me. She says, Sam. You know, the trouble is that nature has made it such that if you are looking for a responsible husband, when he comes around, you don't first recognize him. Because he is not the kind of person you want. You talk with a few of the girls and see. But I just brought this in because formerly men were the people tempted by girls because of the type of work they do. You see? Because you, you are a bank manager. And so you meet the ladies. You see, you meet the ladies and they come and, you know, manager and, you know, manager and, manager. Now, there are more ladies doing MBA than men. So, ladies are also exposed to the same kind of temptation. Why? Because there are men out there whose job is just they know you are married, but they want to woo you. 
And therefore, the flatteries, the niceties, I'll take you to lunch. Uh, you know, and the kind of thing your husband never tells you. They tell you. So, within a short time, you wonder why you married that man, cry. Ah, where was I looking? Eh? So there are young men like this in the system. What? Now, formerly when you were just a housewife, this temptation didn't come. You were in the house. Now, there you are in the world of business. And you have a meeting here. And you have a, and then the guy with four wheelers says, Oh, I can give you a lift. Oh, you are, you are okay, let's go. Oh, can, can we pass here for just lunch? Can, and then he's serving you, and uh, oh, and uh, oh, and, uh, and you think of your husband at home. That man, guy! He will never do such a thing. Did he tell you that this your dress is beautiful? My husband. Did you even see me? That man. Bible says, warn each other every day. Because sin is deceitful. Sin is deceitful. So you need me. When you are just before your television watching a church service, how can I warn you? How can I warn you? You are not uh, 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 within reach for me to warn. You see, some of the people who can touch you and say, mm, Amma, is this, I don't like the way you are moving with this gentleman. man. You are married though. You see? You need somebody to be bold to tell you that. But you didn't come to church. <laughs> so you didn't, she didn't see you to tell you. You stayed, watch TV, and say, Oh, I had my church service in my bedroom. Warn each other every day. Warn each other every day. But not only that, Proverbs 27, verse 17 says, Just as iron sharpens iron, a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. We sharpen each other. Human beings have a way of sandpapering your conscience. When you meet another human being who is passing through the same trials and temptations with you and his flesh and blood and is sitting beside you in church, there is something to learn from everybody. When people talk, you are blessed because a problem you have been grappling with for years. That person passed through it in one week and got the solution. Iron sharpens iron. A man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Moses was speaking with God face to face as a man speaks with his friend. But God never taught him administration. Jethro did. Jethro his father-in-law taught Moses administration which God didn't. It means that there are certain things God has left to other human beings to teach you. 
You need me. I need you. Why? Because you have gifts which I don't have. I too have gifts which you don't have. When we bring the two together, it becomes more complete. I am of use to you. You are of use to me. If I don't see you and you stay at home and watch TV and have church service, how can I pray for you? I don't even know what is going on. So the human fellowship brings dimensions into our life. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 from verse 9 to 12. He says two are better than one because they have a greater reward for their labor. If one falls down, the other will lift him up. But who are you if you are just alone? Yeah. Let's read it. Two people are better off than one. Two people are better off than one. For they can help each other succeed. They can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. I am saying that if you say your Christianity, hey, leave me alone. Hey, I don't like the read church. The people gossip too much. Is that your business? Eh? I'm pregnant with a pregnancy from another man, even though I'm married. Is it your business? Don't put your mouth into my affairs. Mm-hmm. Look, your business is my business. When Cain killed Abel, God came to Cain and said, Where is your brother? God asked account of your brother, your sister, from you. Therefore, you can't say, mm, mm, from me, You can't. I belong to you. You belong to me. We are members of the body of Christ. You are the eye. I am the ear. So you see, I hear. If I don't have you, I can't see. But if you don't have me, you can't hear. You need me. I need you. And we assemble, we meet together so that we can sharpen one another, help one another. When I'm falling, you raise me up. When I'm weak, you strengthen me. Your strength covers my weakness. My strength covers your weakness. Christian fellowship. Look, Luke 22, 31 and 32. Jesus told Peter that, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you. That your faith should not fail. When you are converted, strengthen your brothers. It means that heaven passes us through certain things so that after you have come out, you will be an anchor for others. You went through that problem because God knows that after that, you can talk to other people on his behalf. I think I've shared with you that we had never lost a child. Then our daughter, six years, died. And we went through it. And we were in Mauritania when one of our pastors lost, how old was that guy, 21 or 23. He finished university, he was doing national service when he died. And when we arrived, the woman told everybody that nobody should comfort her until we come. Nobody. And when we came, she came and told us how she lost a 21 year old son. 
And my wife spoke. And I spoke. And she sat down. She drank everything in. After that, she said, I'm satisfied. She got up and left. From that time, she stopped sorrowing. God passed us through that so that we too can help another person. Your life is not just your own. You don't belong to just yourself. You were bought by the blood of Jesus. Therefore, I too, being bought by the blood of Jesus, I need you. You need me. We are brothers and sisters on the road to heaven. Just today, I had a counseling case in the office. And the lady, you know, was sick to the case point of death. And she said, you know, the, other, the second lady was reporting. And she said, as she watched her die, the lady started talking. And said, I saw myself on a lonely road. And I was going alone. And the only person walking with me was you. And God told me, I heard the voice that on this earth, God has given a second person to every human being to bring you home to heaven. And if you trouble that person and he leaves you, that's it. So this lady... You know, you are talking about seven years ago. Prayer all night, us, calling to pray for this, my prayer. Until she came back alive. And I could identify with it. One day I was praying. And God told me that one of the reasons I married my wife was he wanted to make sure I brought her to heaven. I had never thought of it that way. Sometimes when a husband and wife you are quarreling, eh? why? Why did I, I marry you to come and waste my life like that? When, when, when you go your way, I go. That's not the idea. There are certain people in this room, God has asked you to bring them to heaven for him. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. The demonstration to Jesus that you love him is to care for the people in the church. Feel for them. Be concerned. Somebody is sick. Somebody is in prison. Somebody, you know, has just had a new child. Somebody is bereaved. They need somebody to stand by them. That's not the day to put on the TV and have church service at home. That's the time to get a real human being, flesh and blood, to stand behind you, beside you, at your mother's funeral. When the coffin of your father is being lowered. That you need a real human being, not a mobile, mobile phone. Beside you. This is the power of Christian fellowship. On the way to heaven, we need each other. We need each other desperately. Sometimes you might feel you don't need me, but I need you. 
I remember I was in the UK. I was so sick. I was sure I was going to die. I was sure God was calling me home. Because I, I was going to the washroom, to the loo, 11 times a day. Sometimes even before I get to the washroom, then I'm soiling. And it was all green. I, was, I knew I was dying. Then I stopped praying. Then one of my church members came. And he said, before you come to see me, you have to put on gloves and, you know, everything. Because I was in the isolation ward. And, and he said, Pastor, even if you don't want to live because of yourself, because of us, you have to live. I don't know why the Holy Spirit used that so much. The thing just pierced me as an arrow. That I wanted to die because I was only thinking of myself. That night, I started praying. And when I started praying and doing spiritual warfare, I saw things coming out of my body. And I was like, what? Is this Satan who wanted to destroy me? And I started praying. By the next morning, everything around my health changed. It's 15 years now, or... I don't know. Ten? Something. Look at me preaching. The only person who saved me was that church member. What he said pierced me. Pastor, if you don't want to live just because of yourself, what about us? You see, you need me. I need you. One of my church members sent for me, you know, desperately. And when I got there, he said, Pastor, take your pen and paper and, and write. This is my will. I'm dying. I said, John, what do you mean you are dying? What do you mean you are dying? I ordered that they put him in the car and bring him to my home. After two weeks, he was on his feet. He went back to the shop. He became full gospel businessman, fellowship chapter president. And, you know, he lived for 20 plus years. Yes, he's dead now, but that's it. You need me, I need you. If you take, think your life is just your own, you don't need me. Oh, these people, they gossip to my... Is it your case? Is it my... And so what? And so what? Is my arm doing the... I want to tell you that your spiritual growth depends on Christian fellowship. Amen. God bless you. Thank you, Rev. Um, I'll take just two questions before. Okay. Right, thank you very much. You're giving us food thought, for thought. Um, I just want to have a little clarification about testing and temptation. Um, see, we need to be tested or uh, tempted to, to enable us to know the strength of our character or to bring us as strong people. But when Jesus was taught us to pray, he said that he did not through temptation. Yes. Um, what's the difference between temptation and um, testing? Uh, by 
Why was uh, Jesus you know, tempted by, by the devil? And uh, Jesus also prayed said that lead us not into temptation. Now, the second point I want to raise is about your own dream. You said that you dreamt that you were facing an idol man who beat you thoroughly. Um, the scripture says that uh, God will not bring us temptation beyond our ability to bear. Uh, in your case, I think you missed something that you couldn't bear. Why did it happen that way to you? Okay. Thank you very much. Uh, three little definitions. One, temptation. Temptation is by Satan. James chapter 1, verse 13 to 15. He says, let no one say when he is tempted that I am tempted by God. God never tempts anyone and he cannot be tempted. James 1, 13. And remember when you are being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong. And he never tempts anyone else. So the tempter is Satan. Matthew chapter 4, verse 2. Satan is the man in charge of temptation. And he lures us to disobey God, to sin, to fall. Tests. Tests and trials are by God. God tests and shakes and proves us in order to make us grow more. So, the tempter tempts our weaknesses. But God tests our strengths. I hope I've made it. Your faces don't look like you've got it. Okay, supposing you have a son in primary school and your friends come. Then say, Kwame, come. One plus one says two. Two plus two, four. Four plus two, uh, four. Eight. Eight plus eight, sixteen. Sixteen plus sixteen, thirty-two. Thirty-two plus thirty-two, sixty-four. Sixty-four plus sixty-four, one twenty-eight. One twenty-eight plus one twenty-eight, two fifty-six. Two fifty-six plus two fifty-six, five hundred and twelve. Five hundred and twelve plus five hundred and twelve, thousand twenty-four. You see, everybody, look, look, look. You know what your enemy does? He says, okay, Kwame, one plus one is two. Two plus two, four. Four plus four, eight. Eight plus seven. Then Kwame is lost. Then you see that the people clap for him the first time. Because, so, Satan attempts our weaknesses, our lusts, so that we can fall. But God tests our strengths. So, in uh, Genesis 22, from verse 1, we are told that God tested Abraham and said, Give me your son. Kill him for me. And it was along his strength. So, because of that, Abraham passed the test and he has become father of the faith. Now, the question is, should you pray, God, 
lead us into temptation. No. 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 Even when God is leading you into a place to be tempted by Satan, you busily pray to him. Because 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, God, uh, no temptation has come upon you, but such as is common to man. God is faithful. He will not suffer you to be tempted beyond your strength. So, Jesus' prayer still stands. We don't want to be led into temptation. As much as possible, we want to keep away from temptation. But if God is testing you, that one, you can rebuke it. Anything, you can plead, you can cry, you can intercede, you can beg, but his tests will not kill you. They won't destroy you. They are not meant for your evil. Yes. So the prayer of Jesus still stands. That Lord, lead us not into temptation. Because I, I don't want to present myself to be tempted. Now, concerning the dream I shared, in fact, it wasn't just a dream. It was a vision. And the man, the iron man I saw, was not Satan's agent. I could discern in the dream that he was God's somebody. Uh, let's read Genesis 32, 25. 24, 25. Uh, let's try 24. Yeah. This left Jacob all alone in the camp. Yes. And a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. Yes, 25 now, yes. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he tied Jacob's head and wrenched it out of its socket. The guy was obviously stronger than Jacob. He was. Because one touch and his hip was out of joint at once. So, uh, we have experiences like that. You pass through certain things in life and they break you forever. You are like uh, from that day Jacob never walked straight until he died. He, 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 the, the touch from that wrestling match permanently dislocated his hip. It, yes, the, the purpose was because Jacob, like his name, he was a Kalamule man. You see, he was a, a, a swindler. He was the kind of guy who, if he says five, you know it's ten. And so, God had to cure him. And when he went to Laban's house, Taman met Bosman. And the two of them were balancing one another in the place there uh, until they left. And this time, God wanted to heal him. And the way he, he could do it was this guy who touched him permanently and left him forever changed. And when he met his brother Esau the next day, 
he bowed seven times before him. And things Jacob would never do, he did. Yeah. So, well, this is a long answer to your short question. I, I, I agree that when you dream and you meet evil spirits, your spirit is supposed to be strong enough to conquer them. Because First John 4, 4 says, we are of God. We have overcome them. For greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. But when the match is arranged by God himself, it's difficult to dodge. And I think I gave that example as one of them. Yes. Okay. Yes. Is it right to uh, um, say no, scripture a story? To call any part of scripture story? No. I... Please. If anybody breaks your confidence in the Bible, the person has finished you. Because Acts chapter 1 verse 16 says that the Spirit spoke by the mouth of David saying, Acts 1 16. Yes. Brothers, it said, the scriptures have to be fulfilled concerning Judas, who guided those who arrested Jesus. This was predicted long ago by the Holy Spirit, speaking through King David. The Holy Spirit speaking through King David. Uh, Acts 28 25, please. And after they had argued back and forth among themselves, they left you this final word from Paul. The Holy Spirit was right when he said to your ancestors, through Isaiah the prophet. The Holy Spirit, through Isaiah the prophet. The, the words in the Bible were not just ordinary words. They were words taught by the Holy Spirit. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 21. He says, holy men of God were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke and wrote. So no prophecy of the scripture is of any man's private interpretation. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 13 says, they are words taught by the Holy Spirit. So, please, don't believe the lie that any part of the Bible is a story. Even, even the stories in the Bible, even the words of Satan in the Bible were supervised by God to be written. Is it? Do you understand? It is Satan who is speaking, but the, the, it was under the supervision of God's Spirit that they were written. You can trust the Bible because the words are God's words. Now, when you approach from that angle, you are safe. We live in very dangerous times. And there are so many criticisms of the Bible. Please, even Jesus, after he rose from the dead, he still quoted the Bible to his disciples. So please keep that in mind. 
Second short question I have to ask is on this question of evangelism. When did the church get it wrong that it's only some special people, the priests and the, the elders, who are endowed with spreading the word or evangelizing uh, to such extent that most of us, when we listen to our preachers, Sunday services and all. There is no feeling that you two, you are being empowered to go out and also pass the word on. And it strikes me that in other faiths, they seem to be prepared right from the very beginning that when you talk with a non-believer, you have to make the effort to make him believe in your faith. Where did we get it wrong and how do we turn back? Okay. Um, do you think that in the Ghana army, only the major generals, the field marshals, the lieutenant generals, are they the only people who fight when there is war? If they are the only people who fight, what will happen? We will lose the battle. We will lose the war. When I look into the Bible, the early church was not like that. Let's read it. Acts chapter 8. Let's read verse 1 and verse 4. Acts 8, 1 and 4. Saul was one of the witnesses. And he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. All the believers except the apostles. Verse 4. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about about Jesus, wherever they went. You see, the, the church, in the, the early church, it was not the apostles who spread the gospel. Because the believers were scattered except the apostles. And, but the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Every, the church in Damascus, it wasn't planted by Peter. Joppa. It wasn't planted by Peter. You know, all those churches in Antioch, it wasn't the apostles. They just heard that Samaria had received the gospel and they now sent Peter and John. They heard Antioch had received the gospel. And let's read Acts 11 from verse 19. Acts 11 from 19. So, where did we get it wrong? Meanwhile, the believers who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch of Syria. They preached the word of God, but only to Jews. They preached. They were scattered. They preached. They preached. I read a little about the history of the spread of Islam in West Africa. It's not the Al-Hajis and the Imams and the, uh, you name them, the sheikhs the, who brought the gospel to West Africa. It's the traders, the 
traders who were Muslims, they were trading. And as they sold their ways, they sold their religion. That's how Islam came. Now today, the average church member has never preached to anybody before. Has never shared the gospel in the trotro. Has never gone out, you know, to demonstration to preach. The average church member has never worn a soul who is in the church on the way to heaven. The average church member. It's frightening. You see, if Jesus is going to reward people according to souls, it's very frightening. But that's why I'm struggling to answer your question. Where did we drop the ball? What happened? You see, a time came when the pastors said, church members, don't talk to anybody about Jesus. Do you think so? I think it is you. Let's look at it well. You want to answer? Okay. In my opinion, I think we became very lazy. We are very lazy we don't like to read the Bible, and so we leave the job for a few people who read the Bible and then pass on their understanding of the Bible. And that is where the issue is. And that is why you have a lot of churches bringing up, and the pastors feel such mm. garbage. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm trying to look for a nice word, yes. you know, but they feel such garbage. Mm. And the the congregants believe them because they haven't read the Bible and so they don't know what's in the Bible. And so they believe anything and everything the pastor says. So it's us and our laziness. I, I think, I mean, it's a very sad affair. And we should, each one of us in the pew should take the responsibility because even if you say the pastors are not good, what about you? Jesus has done something for you. Eh? Jesus has done something for you. You should also respond by talking about him to somebody. No. Can you imagine that on judgment day, your cousin is going to hell. And then she looks at you and says, Hey, Lydia. Lydia. Did you know all this time that there is heaven and there is hell? And if I didn't accept Jesus, I will go to hell. You. And you didn't tell me. You didn't tell me. I was paying your school fees. I was, you didn't tell me. I was sleeping on the same bed with you. I am your cousin. You didn't tell me. Go to your heaven. I will go to hell. Go to your heaven. I will go to him. You, you knew this. You knew this, but you didn't warn me. You didn't tell me about this. Go to your heaven. I will go to hell. If this is how you want to treat me, I'm okay. You see, there are certain people you can't afford not to talk to about Jesus. Your pastor can never do that for you. Some people at your workplace... Your pastor will never meet them until you, they, he dies. If you are a doctor, there are certain doctors who will only listen to you because you are a doctor. You are a lawyer. Certain people will listen to you just because you are a lawyer. Your pastor is not a lawyer. They don't want to listen to him. 
But when they see somebody in the same profession talking about Jesus, they are like, huh? You too? How? And then you can share your faith. There are many areas in which we too, in the, uh, in the pew, we are guilty. Because, I mean, I, you are a pharmacist. When you stand to speak, fellow pharmacists, listen. Because you are of the same profession. But when a pastor is of his own, why is that? You see? That's it. So, there are many areas in which we need to fault the pulpit. But there are areas too, we need to fault you too in the pew. Follow JFK Mensa Ministries on Facebook and YouTube and invite others to listen to his podcast. You can also access some of JFK Mensa's books and keep up with his ministry at www.jfkmensaministries.org. God bless you.